Welcome to the Dukes Up Podcast. I'm your host, Steven. I talk about and analyze MMA fights. Today, UFC 256 prelims. You can reach me via email, dukesuppodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at dukesuppodcast. First fight of the night was Chase Hooper versus Peter Barrett. Right away, I thought Hooper looked green, and there was lots of talk about his grappling going into this fight. But we get to see their stand-up first. And while green, I didn't think he was completely ineffective. He had some good kicks. Uh, and he was his timing on the kicks was fairly effective. His punching was ungodly slow almost all the time. I did notice that there were a few times when he threw a sharp jab. Well, one time he even cracked Peter Barrett in, I believe, the second round, early in the second round, with a sharp and a fast straight right. But when he threw punches quickly, it reminded me of when you see a new person at the gym and they have to think about and be prompted to throw a fast jab. It's just not natural for them yet. And that's what it reminded me of. It doesn't seem like his training is a, in stand-up, at least, is a part of him yet. It's not natural for him to throw. He's not sure what's going to happen He throws out a weak jab, and he's a little unsure if there's a counter coming. He doesn't know if he just walked into a trap. That's the kind of, that's sort of what it looks like. So I expect that to go away eventually. But uh, Chase Hooper's stand-up was not the most important thing in this fight. In the first round, he got, Hooper got deep on a shot, and and he got stuck in that double leg with uh, Barrett against the cage, but he didn't switch. I kind of assume he's desperate to get the fight to the ground. At that point, Barrett had been putting some hits on him, and he just didn't want to lose it. I guess I'm not too surprised that's how jujitsu guys work. They don't always have the best wrestling. So a guy that's as slick on the ground as Hooper would, of course, benefit hugely from being able to have uh, more effective wrestling and to be able to transition and flow in that wrestling. He was really choppy. This is not unexpected from a young guy. He had a ground game, and he had his stand-up game, and he just didn't know how to flow between them. His stand-up didn't flow. His takedowns didn't flow, even within themselves, and certainly not from one to the other. But when you saw him on the ground, there's everything flowing. That's his world. That's where he feels comfortable, and, and there was a lot of flow there. So I think he'll be able to bring that flow that he already has on the ground to the other parts of his game, and to his fighting as a whole. By the end of the first round, it sure it seemed like Barrett had it locked up. All he had to do was stay cautious. He had Hooper's leg hurt bad. Barrett's kicks were very good. If he just stayed cautious, stayed elusive, and kept touching Hooper, I think he would be able to win a decision. But, and this is where it got interesting, Barrett had a lot of control and composure, he did a great job of escaping on the ground. He wasn't overcommitting very often on the feet, but he didn't seem to have the feints or the striking variety or the timing to set up what he really needed, which was another leg kick or two, to get Hooper out of there. So I loved the fact that he was composed and that he was very uh, that he was very aware of what was going on in the fight. He seemed to need a few more tricks in the bag if he's going to be able to get Hooper out of there. So in round three, there was an interesting moment, an odd moment, where they get 
tied up on the ground, uh, both of them kind of seated, kind of half laying back, Hooper working on Barrett's legs. And Barrett, Hooper starts throwing punches, and Barrett starts mocking them a little bit at first, uh, leaning his forehead into it, which is smart, make him hit the hardest part of your head. But it's not as smart as not getting hit. And obviously that's true because those punches weren't small, despite the bit of mockery Barrett gave them. And eventually he started trying to dodge them and get it out of the way. And I really think it did a reasonable amount of damage and it did help open up on the ground for the leg lock that he eventually got caught in. Another observation about Hooper is that he was very tough and the commentators love to talk about that. But his lack of quit appeared to be without grit. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of guys who have what I'll refer to as infinite toughness. You have to make them stop. They never stop themselves. There's a bunch of guys like that in the UFC. And often you will see them grit through things. Darren Elkins is a good example. The dude gets smashed. He gets put in bad positions. He gets tired and he just grits and grits and grits. And you can kind of see the struggle. You know he's never going to stop, but you can see him fighting against it. Hooper's lack of quit and his ongoing confidence, despite the fact that he was getting beat up pretty good, was all inside. There wasn't any visible grit. He wasn't pushing it seemed like the kind of invincibility mentality that a lot of teenagers, that all teenagers have. You just assume that you're invincible, everything's going to go your way, why wouldn't it? So I love that about Hooper, and I hope it sticks with him as he ages. The next fight was Tisha Torres, Sam Hughes. And Tisha Torres, I saw her fight earlier this year, and she is doing the same The same thing. She is looking like an absolute savage. She's fast. She's got good distance control. And then at the end of the first round against Sam Hughes, she even lands this huge double leg pickup slam takedown and and just completely dominated Hughes. Pillar to post that first round, which was the only round there was. Tisha Torres, really, she looked like vintage... Vandalay Silva with the hunched over shoulders and just slinging cannonballs. Her timing and distance control were really the most impressive things. Obviously, being fast and, and hitting hard, especially at her size, is impressive, but Sam Hughes really didn't even touch her. She she Torres was always in control of, of the fight and always seemed to know what was coming and be able to get out of the way of it. Seeing Torres fight like that again was awesome. I can't wait to see more from her. On to Hughes here, there was something that I really appreciated about her corner. So the fight ended with her, it was technically a doctor stoppage because she couldn't see out of her eye, but really her coach threw in the towel. That's what impressed me about this. So they, they showed the footage in between rounds. She seemed, Hughes seemed kind of slow and not terribly responsive, not terribly engaged. And I think maybe her coaches picked up on that because her lead guy showed, mentioned her eye and then showed or asked if she got hit with an eye poke. I don't think she did. I think it was one of the Superman punches that kind of came down and, and busted up her lower lid. But the coach showed the other two corner men, mentioned it to Hughes, and then showed the other two corner men her eye. And then that sort of naturally led into him asking if she could see out of it. 
And she hesitated for a second and then said, no, I can't see. And she could have not been thinking about what that meant, that if she says she can't see out of an eye, the fight's done. But I think she did know what that meant. And I think it was a really graceful way, a really uh, subtle way of her coach letting her save face. He gave her a drink of water right after she said, I can't see. And then he said, I'm stopping the fight. It was probably not even five seconds. She again hesitated and then started protesting. No, no, I want to go back out there. I want to go out there. But and DC covered this in the commentary. She definitely wanted out. And I think that was the right move for her to say, I can't see and to get out of there. But I loved that, especially since we've had a couple of cornermen throw fighters back in who probably didn't need to. I loved that he was tactful and that he was certain and that he took care of his fighter. That was really impressive. The next fight is Gavin Tucker and Billy Quarantillo. This was a banger. Gavin Tucker was so impressive in this fight. It was really something else. Quarantillo's big talk with his, uh, or people are big talk about him with his cardio and his volume and he makes everything a slobber knocker and he's so hard to deal with. Gavin Tucker had faster hands, faster feet, better timing, better distance control, better stand-up overall, better clinch. He had better takedowns. He had better ground game. It was, And his cardio was at least as good as Quarantillo's. They even mentioned, they, the commentary team, mentioned that a guy like Quarantillo, a, a guy that will put a pace on you and wear you out and gets finishes later or wins decisions, doesn't care so much about winning the first round because they're looking for you to fade later anyway. Tucker didn't fade at all. That was probably the one of the most impressive things, is that for all this talk of Billy Quarantillo wearing everybody out, Tucker had plenty of gas in the tank to get rid of it, to get rid of him. I also loved some of the stuff that he did, Tucker. He threw a switch head kick at the end of round one, which landed very clean. And I thought that switch head kick is something that I think as I'm watching fights that would land but I never see it so it was great to see somebody do it and hit it at the end of round one Tucker seemed to be getting a little bit aggressive and that that's the kind of thing that Billy Quarantillo could take advantage of um, but it just didn't work he was much slower Billy was much slower coming in Tucker was able to see it Tucker had great footwork and was able to get out of the way land and get out of the way quite often Strangely enough, despite that, Billy Q's most effective strike was probably his knee and the clinch, even though he wasn't managing, wasn't winning the clinch war at all. Uh, that was definitely a useful strike for him. The problem with Billy Quarantillo here, at least in this fight, is that he was throwing a lot of hooks and he was throwing kicks, leg kicks with no setup. And that's just easy to read. If you've got some technical prowess like like Gavin Tucker does, you're going to be able to read that stuff and make make Billy pay for it. And he did make Billy pay for it. Quarantillo didn't have a heck of a lot of variety. He didn't punch to the body. He threw some kicks to the body. And of course, he had that knee to the body, which was nice. But from range, he didn't have a lot of variety. He would throw a, a sort of a half heart, a faint jab, and then a, and then a three, a right hook. Or he'd double the jab and then he'd throw the right hook. Or he'd just lean off and throw the right hook, a little like Cub Swanson likes to do. The point being, it was pretty pretty basic stuff. And 
even if it wasn't basic stuff, it was very repetitive and thus easy to get a beat on. And Tucker did. In that vein, talking about Billy Corantillo's potential shortcomings here, the only advice I heard from his corner was go. They just wanted him to go. It seemed like everybody in the world was on the same page. Billy Quarantillo can fight very quickly and make you tired and then either score enough points to win because you're too tired or finish you because you're tired. And if that's what his coaches are leaning on, he's in trouble. He might need to start shopping around. That's not a great game plan. It's not a bad idea to be able to put a pace on folks and wear them down. Obviously, we've seen that work at a very high level. Uh, Cain Velasquez, of course, did it. TJ Dillashaw, they mentioned those two during the fight. Colby Covington does it. Kamaru Usman does it. And they're all very good at it. But they're not sloppy. They're not predictable. They don't just throw the same few strikes over and over again. They do faint a lot. They do force you into positions in the cage that you don't want to be in with their footwork. They'll get you against the cage. Then they'll start throwing or uh, or there's just a high variety, or the timing's a little off. They'll maybe hit you in transition. You throw a combination as you're stepping back and resetting. There's a little leg kick. There's a lot more that goes into being a pace fighter than just having the cardio. And I think that's where Billy Q's look is right now. I think he has the cardio. He has the toughness. But he's only got a couple of skills, and he's going to need a lot more if he's going to be able to use his pace as a really effective weapon. This sounds a little like Peter Barrett, who had control, composure, and awareness, but he wasn't able to do enough with it. He needed something else, and I think that's what's holding Billy Quarantillo back, is he's going to need a lot more tools. And I hope that his coaches and he are interested in getting those tools, not just slamming this we're going to wear them out, we're going to wear them out strategy over and over and over. All that said about Quarantillo, Tucker was massively impressive. He also had great trips. He's kicking the feet out. His clinch work was good. Um, And his stand-up skills were just so impressive. I, I can't wait to see more from him. Speaking of stand-up skills being uh, impressive, Rafael uh, Fiziev, this dude was unreal. Hanato Moicano came out and was sort of discounted by DC and Rogan. And I thought that wasn't fair. Moicano had some effective strikes. He threw great straight punches, including a straight right to the body. He had some good kicks. His timing on the kicks were pretty good. The trouble with... Moicano here, and this is when it ended up getting him finished by that absurd combination, absurdly powerful combination from Fiziev, was that he stayed too close. He bent his knees, he hunkered down, and then he would stay too close. He would stay within, he could almost touch Fiziev without moving, and that surely means that a shorter guy with a quick step can get to you. So he needed to be one step out or a half step out so that he had to move in to get to Fiziev. Instead, he was staying in his in his phone booth and Fiziev's striking range, and that's what got him. Regarding the finish, I've seen Tyone, or however they say his name different every time, I've seen that guy make some real bad calls as a ref, and this stoppage 
wasn't universally uh, agreed upon, but I thought it was a good stop. And I'll tell you why. First off, the punches that Fazeev landed were from a rail gun. Those were some of the hardest, cleanest shots you're going to see. Hanato Moicano went down like a sack of crap. He did start moving as soon as he got down, but the fact that he couldn't even make it onto all fours without tipping over after the fight is a pretty good indication that that was a nice stoppage. I agree with it. Maybe in a championship fight, you could let it go a little longer. I think it was good. I think he saved him from a lot of damage. The last fight on the prelims was Cub Swanson, Daniel Pineda. This fight, like most of the fights that we had on this prelim card, was unbelievable. It was one of the tensest, most exciting fights I've ever seen. And it was mostly because of leg kicks that Daniel Pineda landed on Cub Swanson. Of course, Cub's coming off this big knee injury, his ACL blew out. And Pineda's a guy that has great kicks and kicks no matter what, as he, as he said, leading up to the fight. And Pineda managed to land some of those kicks and got Cub's legs in real trouble, which, of course, is the second time we saw somebody get their legs in trouble. And this is why it was so thrilling, so exciting, because it got to the point where Cub was maybe one or possibly two good leg kicks away from being done, from not being able to get up, from having it crumble him and then Pineda gets on top and can finish him. He was so close that he started being absolutely militant about avoiding those leg kicks. Daniel Pineda didn't seem to have a lot of respect for Cub Swanson's hands or his power or something about his stand-up and got smashed when he was on the ground first. This wasn't due to his cockiness, of course. Cub Swanson was on top of him, kind of standing in a stack-and-pack position and landed this giant straight right down on Pineda. And that was sort of the beginning of the thrill, because at that point, Pineda is definitely stunned. He's definitely hurt. They get to the feet. Cub lands another big hit. Then he knocks him down at the end of the first round. So here we are. <clears throat> We've got both guys. It's like the USA versus USSR. You've got each team one hit away from finishing the other one. And they both knew it. Cub Swanson knew if his leg got whacked again, there was a good chance it would be the last one. And Pineda for his part, eventually figured out that if Cub got in on him again and landed another big shot, he might just get his lights turned out. So that was incredibly tense and really thrilling and fun to watch. And of course, I'm a fan of Cub, so I'm glad he pulled it out. I will say Pineda's chin was unbelievable. Some of those punches should have been one hitters. How he made it through more than one of them, I have no idea. I think Cub might have had a little more success at the end of the round. Uh, so he's already dropped Pineda. Pineda's hurt bad. He's up against the fence. And Cub ended up stepping in and landing elbows and punches that were good. But it took him a little while to get there. Some of them got deflected. I think if he had ripped to the body with a hook or even a straight, uh, he could have come upstairs and just blown Pineda's doors off right there. Not even had to go to the second round. That's the end of the show this week. Those are all the fights on the prelims. Remember, you can get in touch with me via email, dukesuppodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter, at dukesuppodcast, and I'll see you next time.